Joining us today is Heather Watt. From 2018 to 2022, she served as the Chief of Staff to the Deputy Premier of Ontario and Minister of Health. The challenge was that if you were making decisions based on current circumstances, you were too late. So you always had to be ahead. In this episode, we discuss the key lessons she's learned from leading through a pandemic, explore strategies for avoiding burnout, and delve into her core belief that daily discipline surpasses the pursuit of motivation any day. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Um, Heather, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Would you mind just giving us a bit of an, an arc of your professional career and some of the kind of leadership roles that you've held? Yeah. I graduated university. I had um, full intention of applying to medical school. So I decided to take some time to study uh, for the MCAT and do applications. And in that period, I ended up um, being offered an opportunity to work as a legislative assistant at Queen's Park. I ended up really falling in love with politics, worked on a couple of campaigns and coming out of that Unfortunately, we were unsuccessful, (laughs) Uh, but uh, I met an individual who uh, suggested maybe uh, my skills would be well-suited to consulting. Okay. So I ended up applying for a consulting job, um, and uh, that ended up working out. Really enjoyed that. But then fast forward about seven years, and I had my first child, Mm -hmm. and the industry is it's getting better now, but at the time, um, there wasn't really a lot of options for remote work. So at the time, just decided it wasn't the best choice for my family. I was doing about 125 flights a year. Um, ended up, though, then back in politics. Yeah. <laughs> Got a phone call uh, from Christine Elliott once she won her seat in um, Newmarket, Aurora, uh, and she was appointed as Minister of Health. The premier uh, and Christine both uh, asked if I would serve as chief of staff. On the timeline here, what year are we now in? We're in 2018. So you held that position for two years? Four years. What is the day-to-day of the chief of staff? Really, you're, you're responsible um, for the entire portfolio for which you know, your minister is overseeing, and you're the most senior advisor to that minister. So in, in the case of health, when I joined the Ministry of Health in 2018, our budget was you know, in the low 60 billions, which is you know, about 43, 44 cents on every government dollar. It's obviously a, an important um, part of the spend. So you need a big office to, uh, to oversee that kind of portfolio. And when I joined um, in 2018, I had no staff. It was a new government. So I had a big binder, a budget and a minister. And that's pretty much it. So then it becomes a bit of Hunger Games of, you know, find the staff, find, you want to find your best staff. Yeah. Starting with zero was a bit daunting. Once we got to steady state, that was uh, a little bit more manageable, but it's a big HR. There's a big HR component to the job, obviously making sure that um, everybody is um, not only performing well, but also able to develop themselves. Then, you know, there's uh, making sure that your minister is ready for everything that uh, she or he needs to be ready for. And if the House is sitting, that means question period in the morning. That means potentially uh, cabinet committees. That means potentially cabinet meetings, depending on, depending on the day of the, the week. Then that means stakeholder meetings that your boss is taking and, and also media. 
you have to manage dual stakeholders and appease yes. multiple people at the same time who oh, might yes. not have the same opinion or views. Rarely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the same opinion or yeah. views. Yeah. I am curious. So like, let's just go back to the moment. Like, how did life change for you uh, the day before COVID? And like, I think we all kind of remember that March timeline. Yeah, absolutely. Life changed. Uh, I was quite pregnant <laughs> uh, when we had our, our first case uh, in January 25th. Wasn't clear exactly how pregnant women would be affected. The immense feeling of responsibility. You know, there are lives on the line um, and we needed to make decisions quickly, um, responsibly, and that would uh, benefit, you know, the greatest number of, of residents of Ontario when you have over 14 million um, lives to think about. Uh, certainly, um, I, remember, I remember feeling that heaviness in the beginning. Luckily, we had a lot of amazing experts. I think when you are faced with making those kinds of decisions, the challenge was that if you were making decisions based on current circumstances, you were too late. So you always had to be ahead. Uh, and it's very difficult from a, um, a, a policy making perspective, but also from a um, communications to the public perspective to explain why the decisions were being made and really bring the public along. Um, because uh, without that cooperation, the whole thing falls apart. Are there any sort of basic principles when you go back in time and you go, I really had to apply this skill in this moment to be able to do this? Looking back, it's really important to rely on experts. Mm -hmm. You and I had been talking about the uh, being aware of the cognitive biases that might creep in. In the beginning, it sh and, and level of level of competence on the y-axis. So you see in the very beginning, it's shooting up because you're learning about a topic and you say, oh my gosh, I know so much about it now. I feel really comfortable. I feel really fluent. I feel prepared to make decisions. But in fact, you actually don't know about the topic. And then as you continue to learn more and more about it, you actually see the curve come down because the more you learn about it, then the more questions you have and the more you realize you don't know. And if you're in the beginning part of that curve, I think that's the really dangerous place to be because you have a blind spot. I think if you're ever absolutely sure about the answer and you don't understand the opposing view, I think that's a signal that you have a problem, that you're not seeing the full, um, the full picture. I'm all about picking sides. You know, I think it's important in life to pick sides. But if you don't understand what the other side is saying, I think then you're in trouble. For all of us, let's put ourselves in the shoes of you have to come up with communications that land clearly for yeah. 14 million people. Yeah. What lessons do we learn from that moment in time through your journey? You have to think about it like distilling complex ideas into a governing thought and then really decide what you, the top three things that you, you need the public to understand at that time and really take away are. And also... Um, being prepared to admit a level of uncertainty among yeah. the decision makers and preposition that things might, are going to change. Like, it's not they might change, they will change. And so let's prepare for that. And how complicated was the behind the scenes and all of this with like multiple stakeholders, multiple different points of view and decision making through that landscape? Very complicated, yeah. I would say. 
one lesson uh, that I do reflect on quite often is that um, I did see the goodness in a lot of people, particularly, I would say, in the first year, um, willingness to work together uh, and, and so on. So that, I think, is incredibly important in a crisis. But I will say that, um, you know, the key is open communication, constant communication. Yeah. You would have seen government leaders of all jurisdictions out, um, you know, very consistently um, delivering messages, even though they, you know, the substance would change from time to time. And then also, um, you know, it was up to, to, to staff um, to make sure that all stakeholders were well informed along the way. So that means, you know, daily meetings sometimes of very large groups of stakeholders to make sure that, um, you know, folks are being given the information that they need and that government is receiving the information that it needs. The stamina to keep to that pace, to keep to that level of um, clarity of thinking, decision making, and feeling that level of pressure. What did you have to lean on so that you could operate at that level? Honestly, it was really just the enormity of the task. You do have to find ways to keep your energy up, make yeah. sure that um, you or yourself are not burning out. I mean, obviously we saw, particularly with healthcare workers, such yeah. a high level of burnout, mm -hmm. incredibly challenging to deal with. Um, yeah, so, so you can't rely on that kind of adrenaline. Mm -hmm. You just have to get up every day and say, this is the job. We're going to get through the day. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to you know, save as many lives as possible. You talked a little bit about burnout in that chapter. And this is coming a lot up a lot in the culture right now today, burnout. I've been fascinated by um, just really trying to understand it a little bit better. Do you have any just thoughts on, you know, burnout as a whole for yourself or what you have to do to just self-navigate a little differently? In my recent years, I've become obsessed with learning about the importance of sleep. I was somebody who, growing up, never, and I am naturally a night person. I'm a night owl. I can work until 4 a.m. and not get tired, but try to get me up at 7 a.m. And, and did you pride yourself a on that bit. too? Because yeah. I remember being that type of a person too. Totally. Yeah. I was like, I don't really need sleep and yeah. this is fine. And, and honest to God, I don't know if it was getting a little bit older having kids, um, you know, pandemic pressure. But I started having some very challenging sleep issues. Sleep is the basis for physical health, mental health, emotional health, um, and so on. It is so important. Yeah. Um, and I know it's a real challenge for a lot of people. It's not, uh, you know, I wasn't unique in having some sleep issues, especially women um, yeah. as they age and going through menopause. And it's something that, you know, people don't talk about very much. Yeah. But it's, it, it's so foundational um, and so incredibly important that I really have started to prioritize it. And, and I did so during the pandemic as well. So of course we were working late. Of course we were working early. That said, I think you need to be really disciplined about um, kind of getting as much sleep as you can. That's what's going to make your brain work properly. The studies are incredible um, that show, you know, cognitive impairment um, on the level of you know, alcohol consumption from lack of sleep. What you're bringing about is it's, it's actually hitting the mainstream in a very different tone right now. And the other thing that I'm noticing that's changing too, the grind culture mm -hmm. is starting to question like, what were we thinking? 
I think there is a shift going mm-hmm. on in the in the broader conversation, probably a little bit um, propelled by the pandemic. I think for two reasons, maybe one is um, just the perspective that I mentioned before. All of a sudden people wake up and say, oh, my gosh, we only get one life and it's not very long. And yeah. what am I doing? Um, and then, you know, I think the second reason is, is just because of COVID, it uh, generated a lot of flexible types of work. And so um, not to say we should be working less or working less hard necessarily, um, but it's a bit more flexible. Yeah. It's difficult for me as a, I guess I'm an elder millennial. We're just programmed yeah. to push away any uh, notion of kind of rest and relaxation, especially women. You know, mm-hmm. we're programmed that we're the generation that can have it all, right? Um, and so I do have like an allergic reaction to you know, that kind of notion, but it does start with sleep. It does yeah. start with getting there and exercise, I will say, exercise too, but also continue to work hard because no one's going to do that but you. We're putting pieces back together in a new way. And so when we just think about this kind of architecting your future, I know you have a great deal of perspective as it relates to how, how to think about this with, within leadership, but would you mind speaking a little bit about that? Yeah, I think what I what I've learned over time. So I'm an only child, um, and I had a, a bit of a challenging. Some aspects of my childhood were were pretty challenging, um, and so from kind of very early on, I really learned that I had to take the initiative if I wanted to be successful. Mm-hmm. So that meant, um, you know studying for a test um late at night when no one was telling me to do that mm-hmm. that meant you know i decided that i really wanted to apply to school in the united states but finding you know the sat prep course finding the books um and and those were all kind of decisions that i made and i kind of said to myself like this is the goal let's go get it not to say you can't be supported by family and you can't be supported by mentors and and sponsors and people who are going to help you um but i i do think it maybe it sounds a little bit harsh but nobody's really going to help you um get up that hill but you yeah i and i think to your story um because i think you know foundationally depends on the circumstances in which we grew up but you had to find your voice for yourself early like you had to access that you had to access Hey, I'm, I want this for me. These are my goals, my ambitions. And I think that just harnesses a certain level of work ethic and self back to the discipline versus, you know, motivation. And it started there. Yeah. I can relate to your story. Like Mm -hmm. I had to do that for myself at 16 too. Mm -hmm. Um, I talked to some people and they have great wisdom that, you know, they can lean on in their family, but for some it's not the case. Yeah. It's not the case. Yeah. It's great to you know, read a book or listen to something and, and say, okay, now like I'm, I'm really motivated to go after and get it. But you'll see that like, those are spurts over time. Yeah. Like the way that you're really going to be successful is it's consistency. It's not uh, these spurts of advancement really that's, that's going to make you successful. It's showing up every day, putting in the work. It's not very glamorous. Um, yeah, it's not. I think we live in this culture now of such a desire for instant gratification mm-hmm. that I think is actually um, detrimental to young people to expect. And I, and I see it in my kids sometimes too. Like, 
they they have Netflix, right? So they will never know. It's such a such a small example, but they will never know um, the feeling of having to wait to uh, wait a week to watch your favorite show. Yeah. It's like everything's there. It's on Netflix. They get it right now. Um, but but that's not how life works. Uh, <laughs> I think it's really important. You know, the reason most people fail is because um, they sacrifice what they want most for what they want now. Mm. And uh, and and I am very aware of that as I am, you know, parenting my own children, um, kind of how to instill um, those values of just showing up every, every day, being consistent. Um, and and of course, you're always going to hear about the one in a million, right? You're going to hear people who got lucky or, you know, it's usually not, though. It's usually not luck. It's usually you think it's luck, but it's actually hours and hours yeah. and hours and years, yeah. in fact, of hard work. Listen, Heather, we talked about so much, um, kind of some unplanned topics here too, which were really fun. Uh, first of all, I just want to truly thank you for making all the tough calls and doing what you did through that pandemic uh, in the sense that all of us- Huge team. I, I know, but I, I'm speaking to you. Yeah, thank um, you. And you know them. On behalf you, of the team. On behalf you. of everyone, yeah. And I think um, hopefully all we can do right now is, is learn from the hindsight of it um, and use this time and chapter to kind of really think about where we go from here. And so thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom. Great to chat with you. My pleasure. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn, where we transform the wisdom from our podcast into practical tips, tools, and takeaways for your leadership journey. Find us at grit.grace.podcast. See you next week.